0: Welcome back to tailgate till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorey, and I'm joined for another episode by Brian Kaufman. Today, we're diving into all the week one action and the aftermath. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five star review. So let's get into it. We got a lot to cover. Brian, how was your week one?
1: It was awesome, man. Never better. I got to be honest and and for the listeners out there, you know, it was it was fun to be together with you and watch games all day and our friend Ben as well. I mean, to me that's what college football is all about. We were eating, drinking, cheering, watching and and it was a blast. And so obviously, a lot of ton game, a ton of games, impactful ones, exciting ones. We're going to get into all of it, but just a phenomenal
0: first full slate and uh, had a blast watching. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the first time we've watched football together since going to the LSU-Oklahoma college ball playoff game in J- or December 2019.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that tracks. That tracks. Haven't had a chance to do much since the pandemic, so glad to be back. It was so much fun.
0: And we're going to be going to a real live college ball game together in a couple weeks. I think season's off to a good start, man. Yeah,
1: we're firing on all cylinders. I love it.
0: Well, we had a good slate yesterday, had some good games. Let's start with what I called the showcase game of the week uh, when we did the preview. And that was Ohio State hosting Notre Dame, a top five matchup. Ohio State took down Notre Dame 21 to 10 in what was a game at least a little closer than what the the odds makers in Vegas expected. Notre Dame had a lead early in the game, but Ohio State eventually proved to be too much to handle, eventually winning by 11. I, Brian, thought that Ohio State's defense was very, very impressive in this effort. Did you think that this game told you more about Ohio State or Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it says more about o-
1: Ohio State's defense specifically, right? Obviously a much maligned group, new D coordinator, a bunch of new pieces to pitch a second half shutout, allow 250-ish total yards for the whole game, only two and a half yards a rush. I think Notre Dame punted on their last six possessions. Um, that That's great. I think I try to look at these kind of things on like a macro level when you ask these types of questions, and I don't know that I expected or knew that they could win a top five matchup where their offense was honestly mostly held in check. Ohio State, right? Like this is supposed to be – they're going to run up the scoreboard, score a ton of points, and hopefully the defense gets enough stops to win them games. And honestly, their offense looked frustrated at times. And so in a weird way, if I'm Ohio State, I feel – even more confident because I don't think any of us think their de- their offense is going to struggle like they did on on Saturday going forward. So for me, that side of the ball will get rolling. For the defense to make that kind of statement uh, was big. I think honestly. Both defenses deserve a nod, right? Like Al Golden's first game as DC, like they, that was a that was a heck of a performance from Notre Dame too. Because, like I said, you you expected, at least I did, Ohio State to come out and and put up points in bunches. And so, um, I, I saw a tweet at some point that was like, I didn't anticipate Notre Dame being in it while averaging two and a half yards a carry and forcing zero turnovers. But here we are. So I, I actually left impressed with both teams. But to pick kind of the I'd go with the Ohio State defense because it was maybe the more unexpected performance, if you will.
0: Yeah, I I understand that line of thinking. I, I was impressed. I kind of left this game, I think, impressed with both teams. And I kind of left a lot of games actually feeling that way. We'll talk about some more later, but this was just one of many. And I talked on the preview show about what the strategy would have to be for Notre Dame to stay competitive in this game and why I thought they could be competitive in the first half. I did hit that plus 10 first half line, so I was very happy about that. But I felt like they could execute a game plan where they eat clock try to move the ball on the ground, limit time of possession for that Ohio State offense, and I felt like that was the strategy that they had, and they executed just about as well as they could. They only ran 48 offensive plays in that game. Uh, Only five teams ran fewer offensive plays in all of week one and week zero of the Notre Dame, so I felt like they really had a a game plan that was their game plan and they did it about as well as you can but eventually what it came down to was Ohio State made plays when they needed to make plays and they made it without their top wide receiver threat for most of the game it um and you know they Ohio State just just made the plays when they needed to and I think the stat that really exemplifies that is third down conversion so Notre Dame three for 13 on third downs Ohio State seven for 13. That's kind of the difference in the game right there. And that's a lot of what football again, we've talked about it. We talked so much all off season about who has the most talent, who has this, who has that. But at the end of the day, it's who actually executes. It's who makes plays, whether it's third downs, whether it's red zone efficiency, whether it's not turning the ball over. And I felt like it was Ohio state. And that was the difference in that ball game. But I came into this game not still being sold that Ohio State's defense was an elite defense or anything close to elite. And leaving this game, I'm not sure it's elite because I'm not sure that Notre Dame's offense is necessarily the the best offense. I don't. I'm not sold that Tyler Buckner's a Heisman contender or anything along those lines. But they played a really tough game and they made the changes that they needed to make they made changes. Jim Knowles made changes and adjustments to shut that defense down. And you mentioned it. They, after Notre Dame went up 10 to seven, they didn't score for the rest of the game. They had six more possessions. They gained just a hundred one yards and five more first downs. The rest of the game, football's all about adjustments. Football's all about making plays. And I felt like that's what Ohio state did.
1: I think that's totally fair. And I think like, you're right. It's who goes out and execute. And we talk a lot about talent, but I do think there was a little bit of like a dude differential too, to a certain extent where like you talked about Jackson Smith and Jib and Jigbo was out for much of the game. I think he had a couple of catches before he was out and like, in steps Mecca Ibuka, right? And like that's not even the next guy you're necessarily talking about. I, he was a five-star freshman last year. I think he had single-digit catches. And so it, like Marvin Harrison, people expect it from him or, or whoever it may be for in, uh, Ibuka to come in and have nine catches, nine yards of touchdown. They they do just they – they've been recruiting to the point where like they just keep coming at you. And like the next man up mentality really means like – the next man up who's better than whoever's covering him and so I, I I totally agree with everything you're saying um but I I that that did stand out to me too because it's not like it's surprising that a five-star like Ebuka, who I think generally was assumed he would be more involved in the offense this year played a good game but it was like okay and Jigba's down like like this means something to the game and to be honest with you like I don't know that it did a ton like Notre Dame's defense played well. I don't know that Smith and Jigba meant being in the game would have meant OSU was like that much more explosive. It seemed like there was a good defensive game plan from Notre Dame. So I thought that was worth calling out. But I think it's, I think it's fair. I, I I left impressed with both teams, too. Um, I, I, if you told me Ohio State was only going to score 21, I would have been
0: extremely, extremely surprised. So,
1: yeah, it was a, it was a fun game to watch um, and, and a great opening night primetime performance.
0: I'm of the opinion, Brian, that this means Notre Dame's a team we're going to have to keep track of all year long. They're a team that, even following this, their destiny's in their own hands. If they win out the rest of the way, if they can run the table, if they can take down Clemson, USC, BYU, I think their schedule is strong enough and they perform well enough in this game that we're going to have to talk about them all year long.
1: I think that's totally fair. I, I think that's enough... Good games, ranked opponents. They didn't get embarrassed in the shoe in the opening night. Um, and and like you said, like if I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm feeling good about my team. I really am. Like the To come out and throw a punch like that in the first half took some guts. And so I know it's funny. He's he's 0-2 as a head coach now, but he probably feels as good as an 0-2 head coach can feel with the performance his guys put on the field.
0: And I think we're going to say this a lot. You know, it is week one, we're at the start of the season, but it's all going to come down to how things change, how teams develop, how they progress over the course of the season. And if Tyler Buckner can build on what was a very solid first half and he continues to develop, he's only a sophomore, he gets better and better as the season goes along. You know, that's possible. That's a possibility. I feel like sometimes week one, week two, we feel like these teams are fully baked. But you don't have to look any further than Utah last year to know that you might sometimes start off not playing well. And you change and develop and especially with a good coaching staff that can happen and, and a completely different team by the end of the year. So I think Notre Dame is, is a team we will need to keep an eye on. I'm I'm actually excited to kind of keep an eye on them now and see how they develop. And then with Ohio state, do you have any concerns about the offense?
1: No, I, I, I like, like, I think that they'll figure it out. I trust Ryan day as an offensive coach, right? Like I, I, I don't suddenly think that they're not, good enough on offense. It's, it was, it was a bit alarming, right? Like I really did think they were going to come out and be like, yeah, this is the offense that everybody's been talking about. Um, but I, I wouldn't say necessarily anything jumped off the screen to me as like, Oh wow. That's a, that's a, a weak spot that they have to fix. I think uh, opening night, prime time, I'm willing to chalk it up to that for now. If they, uh, if they come out and, and, you know, next week don't really look like much against Arkansas state or something. We can talk about it, but I think the next few are, are some get right games for them. Uh, put up a bunch of points and hopefully for them be rolling going into a big Ten play.
0: Yeah, I agree. Call me in a month. If they're still struggling uh, on offense, when they go into the Wisconsin game, we'll, we'll find out then because Wisconsin does have a good defense, but I thought for all the talk of not scoring more than 21 points they had a really good rushing attack last night and that's not something they've always had they've relied a lot on the past game so I think there's still positives to take away from it if I were either one of these fan bases I would actually feel pretty good I think another game where you can say the same thing or at least I would say the same thing was the Utah Florida game So Utah went into Florida as a top 10 team, and in Billy Napier's first game, Florida pulled off the upset 29-26. For my money, this was my number one, hands down, favorite game of the day. I thought the offensive playmaking in the second half was just unbelievable, a ridiculous battle between Cam Rising on the Utah side and Anthony Richardson on the Florida side. Both guys just making play after play after play. and it came down to the very end and once again Florida made a play. Florida picked off Cam Rising to end the game and uh it just that that's what it came down to. They pulled it off. I feel really good about both these teams going forward. How about you? I do.
1: I do. I feel good about them. I, it's really interesting and I, I don't want to get too far ahead. We we're going to talk about games we're looking forward to in week 2, but uh, Florida's got Kentucky in week two, and if that's not a really, really important feeling game, suddenly, um, I mean, generally, and we're going to get to Georgia. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a ton of competition for for the East, but uh, I mean, it's it's still worth obviously uh, uh paying attention to that week 2 game but yeah i mean yeah, how can you not feel good about florida that was a big time game big time atmosphere and like you said making a play at the end like it's worth noting Utah was in the midst of driving 70 yards down the field to try to win that game and we were watching it together and i was like i think i said on the second down play i think this is the one where they they punch it in i think cam rising scores here and he threw the pick and like yeah, of course he he wishes he had that throwback, but I'm I'm willing to give a a tip of the cap to Florida's defense for making that play as opposed to calling out some sort of error at the end of what was a really really strong uh, Cam Rising performance. So I still feel good about it. I'm interested to get your thoughts on the fact that I mean this is I think it's fair to say that the biggest preseason expectations Utah's had, and often often talked about in the race for that fourth playoff spot this year, um, and certainly for the Pac-12 championship. Does does anything change at 0-1 for you from that perspective? I know you were big on them in gambling futures as well, so interested to hear kind of your fresh take on the Utes.
0: Well, they just have no margin for error now when you talk about the playoffs. For me, nothing has changed at all in regard to the Pac-12 championship. I still think that this is the best team in the Pac-12. I think that they are... Nothing changed for me in regards to their, their situation in the PAC 12, did USC going out and beating rice? Does that make them the team that I think should, should win the conference? No, I still think it's Utah. I think that Utah performance was still super impressive. Um, so nothing changes for me there. And in fact, I think Vegas might agree with me to some extent because the odds on them winning the PAC 12 right now are plus two seventy, but they were plus 300 about a month or so ago when we did our Pac-12 preview show. So I actually looked at it this morning because I was like, maybe, just maybe, they lost a game, USC put up, however many points they did, 50, 60 points in a win over a bad team, maybe I can get some good value on Utah to win the conference because they're still 0-0 in conference. But unfortunately, it seems like Vegas is kind of in line with what I'm thinking, and I think think rightfully so. I mean, that offense was ridiculously efficient in the second half. They had uh, their drives in the second half. I mean, both teams were efficient, but Utah, first drive, turnover on downs at the one-yard line, couldn't punch it in. Then touchdown, touchdown, and an interception at Florida's six-yard line. I mean, they basically drove whatever they had to drive on each one of those possessions. And if we're thinking, like, okay, maybe the defense is a problem. I think that's valid, but I think going into the season, we knew the defense would be behind the offense. Offense was expected to be the strength of the team, but you're still talking about a Kyle Whittingham team. They had to replace a lot on defense, but I I have the utmost confidence, kind of like you said with Ryan Day coaching an offense, that Kyle Whittingham will do what needs to be done to enable that defense to improve as the season goes along. And they really have a month before they have to worry about it. They have a tough stretch of, of Pac-12 games about a month from now. Uh, that I think it includes, I know they have UCLA and USC two out of three games at some point. So that's when they need to get right by. And I think if history is any indication, they can get right by then.
1: Yeah. I think that's totally fair. And, and, you know, you're not going to see too many guys like Anthony Richardson either the rest of the way. Right. And I think it's worth talking about them as well. And him particularly, cause um, I think only his second, second career start, I want to say, uh, I mean, he, he's a unique player and he really looks like the real deal. I mean, the, 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 the passing stats particularly don't jump off the page, right. 168 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, pretty efficient. Um, His legs are are a real game changer. Uh, They they certainly are over 100 yards and and three rushing touchdowns. So um, I I don't know. I I talked about it a little bit, um, but interested to see what this means for Florida, like in their race. I I try. It's very funny that we ended our last discussion with like, talk to me in a month. And generally it feels like every post week one conversation can end that way. Like I'm trying to be incredibly mindful of not being super reactive to what happened and like in my heart of hearts i don't suddenly see florida as some sec contender right now i mean i i think like they certainly are deserved to be in the conversation i think later in the season going to georgia and a&m and back to back weeks isn't going to be fun and that can really beat a team up if it, you know and so um it's, it, they're an interesting use case for me, man, because that was a huge win. And if and they host Kentucky in the Swamp in a primetime game in week two. If you're talking about beating two top 20 teams in the first two weeks, I, I'm going to have to put my foot in my mouth a bit. But I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on them and, and sort of did your... where you think they can go, I guess this season particularly, change at all.
0: It, it did, actually. It did because I kept saying... Billy Napier has said to be patient and that indicated to me they were not going to be good this year. That he did not feel like he had a team to be competitive this year. However, when you have a guy like Anthony Richardson, you can do just about anything. I don't think they have the overall talent level right now where I'm going to say like they are a national championship contender. But if you look at the betting odds now, they have shorter odds than the vaunted Texas A&M Aggies to win the SEC. So Vegas says the Florida Gators now are more likely to win the SEC than Texas A&M. I don't think either do, but I think in my mind this team had a ceiling of maybe eight and four, like an eight and four, nine and three type season where they were going to be neck and neck battling with Tennessee with Kentucky for that kind of second tier in the sec east because nobody is on georgia's level but i think at this point after that game if anthony richardson is as special as he looked and i mean man that pump fake on the two-point conversion he's special man he's just one of the guys he's electric it's a joy to watch and if he is like that we've seen quarterbacks we've seen quarterbacks in the past just elevate teams because they are that good. And I think now this is more like a team where it's like, okay, they could go ten and two, be the clear second best team uh in the in the east, be on that AM level where you're just behind just behind Georgia and Alabama. And I didn't think that at all going into the season. So I think they really have a chance to establish themselves as the as the clear number two behind Georgia
1: five and a half is the early line I know I, I'm not skipping to the end of the show right now but that is a really interesting one it's at the swamp at night they're laying five and a half I'm like man I I, I did I liked Kentucky I talked about it in the preview as as and I, I was pretty gung-ho on them being the second best team in the division uh, it's funny funny what can change after one game it's it's definitely gonna be interesting um, but I don't know that it's going to matter in the grand scheme of things, uh, which I think might be the, the perfect transition to our third third big game of the day.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Number three, Georgia smashes number 11, Oregon in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz Dome. First game after winning the national championship, 49-3, to Brian. This one was on our TV one to start the 330 time slot, and it didn't last very long. I think it was about Twenty one nothing when we said this one's going to TV three because it's over because the Georgia Bulldogs are the same machine that they were to end last season. And nothing has changed. I could not be higher on Georgia right now. I mean, that was just a vintage Georgia Kirby smart era performance where almost as soon as the team stepped on the field, as soon as that ball was snapped, it was pretty clear. Oregon didn't just just didn't stand a chance.
1: Didn't stand a chance at all. Those those Stetson Bennett Heisman futures are are looking real good right now. Three hundred sixty eight yards, two scores, added a rushing score too. Uh, like uh, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned like with Utah's performance, nothing changes in your mind in the Pac twelve. I was someone who's high on Oregon, and like I just finished saying, I don't want to be reactive, but I am slamming my brakes on Oregon. I guess with the caveat that, like, what did I expect Bo Nix was going to do, right? Like, like he he's not going to be there's, – there's no surprises. Bo Nix is not suddenly going to be a super successful quarterback. And so I think that's interesting about, about Anthony Richardson, right? Like, we hadn't seen a ton of him. We knew he could be good. Hold on, one game in, he might be really good. None of that is happening with Bo Nix. Like, none of it. I need Ty Thompson. I needed him yesterday if Oregon has a chance to be competitive. And I, like, I really, I really feel this way. I am, and I understand we're talking about a team that played Georgia's defense. It's one of the best defenses in the country, uh, the best last year, one of the best ones again this year. But they couldn't do anything. I, I, I was, I was really, really. Not, not even. I guess not surprised. It's just like it's wild how they how you can get deflated so quickly, and like it just shows how far off from actually being nationally competitive some of these programs are. Right? I mean, it's like you said, it's vintage Georgia. Like that's what George, that's what Georgia does. They did it all last year too. Uh, they 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 beat up on a ton of teams, right? Like I do think that's what Georgia does. The, this program at this point just beats up on people. But man, I would have liked to see a, a little bit more fight uh, out of the Ducks.
0: Well, we talked about it a little in person yesterday, Brian, and I think it bears repeating here. I just think there is such a difference when you're talking about teams that recruit well, right? Mario Cristobal was building a really good recruiting program at Oregon, and no doubt he, he did that. And they're number seven in 24-7's talent team composite. So their, their roster is the seventh most talented roster in the country. However, that number seven is a lot closer to number 15, 16, 19, 20 than it is to number one, two, and three, which is Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. So, for comparison's sake, Georgia has 15 five stars on their roster right now, Oregon has five. They have three times as many five star players. And it showed when you have a guy like Malachi Starks as a freshman who comes up with a ridiculous pick had i think he had 5 tackles something like that yeah 5 5 solo tackles 3 assisted tackles as a freshman and it's just plugging in high talent guy after high talent guy they lose a million players in the draft and they just plug in more talent and there's just such a difference between you can recruit well and that's what oregon does And you can recruit at the absolute most elite level of the sport, which is what three programs are doing right now. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Georgia showed how much that makes a difference. They're a machine right now, and I do want to give credit. Kirby Smart deserves all the credit in the world because he's built this program, but I was hard on him last year. I thought he was not the best quarterback on that team. Stetson Bennett deserves all the credit in the world. He's just a good, he is a good college quarterback. He's never gonna go be a first round draft pick. And that's fine. But he is a national champion and he can do what you need to do, especially on a team as talented as Georgia. And he showed it again yesterday. He he made every throw he needed to make. That, that team is a well-oiled machine. And I thought it was inevitable that they had to take some sort of step back. I I don't think they have to, I think they could go out and win a national championship again. So maybe this is my big overreaction of the week, but I just, I think this is a team very capable of going out and winning back-to-back national championships, something Alabama's never done under Nick Saban. There you go. If
1: Kirby wants to be talked about with him, there you go. That's one way to do it. Yeah. He was unbelievable. He really was. And, um, I wonder if there's something too. Like, I do think he was probably looking over his shoulder a bit, even as they went on their run last year, right? Like, like people wanted JT Daniels to be a quarterback last year, and he and he was uh, for a time. And and obviously Stetson played incredibly well when he got in. Like uh, this year, like, Stetson played great in the in the playoff last year, won the national championship. He's the guy. He's obviously going to be the guy. And uh, it's it was fun to see him play with some swagger and confidence that we got used to see him play with at the end of the year but to see it for the whole season's going to be cool. And then yeah, I mean I was just looking at the the drives for Oregon. Punt, pick, pick, field goal end of half. Punt, punt, punt downs end of game. Um I mean it's it's unreal. I I don't think that's a huge overreaction. I we both said we expected a blowout. I don't know that I really truly in my heart of hearts thought like a 50 burger to 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 a field goal. And it was um it was really something. Really something to watch. So yes, uh, going to go out on a huge limb and say George is my favorite twin the SEC still after week 1.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so of these three big games yesterday, which one do you think was most impactful to the long-term national landscape?
1: Of the three games we've talked about so far, I would say I would say Florida Utah in the sense of Utah Wasted their margin for error, like you said, right? Like that to me is the biggest update to the, to the week. Like I didn't, I guess Notre Dame did too. And like you said that they, they can control their destiny still. And I would agree with you, but I don't necessarily, you're right. We have to watch them all year. I don't expect them to win out. And I didn't expect them to be a college football playoff team um, this season. Certainly didn't expect them to win on Saturday. So that was a little bit more expected. I think it's not surprising to, to see a team, losing the swamp, but to see a a team talked about heavily in the playoff, lose their opener. um, That to me is the biggest update. And I think you're right. I think it's still all in front of them, all their goals, all your bets still on the table, but not a ton more room. And so that to me would be the biggest like national impact of, of those games.
0: See, I think for me, it was actually Notre Dame, Ohio state, Because I think it told me that Notre Dame is a team that I have to care about in regard to the college ball playoff picture. And that's not something I really had any expectation of going into this year. I thought, they would end up losing this game by there's a reason I bet the first half line and I didn't bet full game plus 17 so I thought there was a good chance that they would end up losing by more than 17 points and and they didn't they they kept it close I thought their defense was really impressive I thought Brandon Joseph the transfer from Northwestern at safety I mean he's just lies around the field uh he he lays the wood and I was super impressed with him super impressed with that whole defense so I I feel like that defense is good enough that if Tyler Buckner develops they can do something special and I think to some extent it did validate a lot of the Marcus Freeman good feelings that had developed over the course of the offseason because I had kind of gone into this game with the mindset like okay it's great he's recruiting really well everybody loves him he's you know it, it seems to be a great fit but if Ohio State's offense does what I think Ohio State's offense can do some of those good feelings good vibes might go down the drain pretty quickly but I feel like he really validated a lot of that just by playing them so close and showing that they weren't just going to roll over for this team that everybody's crowning as, as a national champion, or at least a college football team right now. So not only for the rest of this year, but kind of for the foreseeable future with all the momentum Notre Dame has, I think that game only continues to help them build momentum for this season and uh, the long term.
1: Do you think the Notre Dame fan base agrees with that?
0: You know, it's a great question. I, I, have a few Notre Dame I'm, I have a few Notre Dame people in my life. Uh one of my good buddies actually went to the game yesterday and he hosts a, a Notre Dame podcast. The uh oh man, I'm gonna butcher it, but I think it's the Gyrish podcast, Gyrish Talk, something along those lines. Better try to get that one right. Uh so I need to talk to him and figure out uh, you know, what he what he's feeling, but he does not go into the game with the highest of expectations. And yes, it is the gyrish Talk podcast, so uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be pointing out some good content around this game. But he wasn't going into that game with the highest of expectations, and and I think if I had to guess, he would be pretty pleasantly surprised. I know he felt like a lot of the a lot of other Notre Dame fans had maybe a little bit. Inflated expectations for you know what what they could expect out of this team out of this season, uh, but I think at least for this one Notre Dame fan that is one of the most passionate Notre Dame fans that I know, uh, he I would imagine he's feeling pretty good now. Again. Talk a little about margin for error. One thing they always did under Brian Kelly, they won the games they were supposed to win. And Kyle Kelly, who we had on a week and a half ago or so talking talk Notre Dame, that was something that he mentioned too, is they they win the games they're supposed to. Now, is Marcus Freeman going to win those games? Because that's not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, I think there's actually something to be said for being able to take care of business. So uh, if he drops one of those games that Brian Kelly really never did, things might change a little bit, but as of this moment, I think they're feeling pretty good.
1: All right. I think it's fair. We we teased it off the top of the show, talking about some fun and exciting games as well. There were some of those where maybe we're not talking about conference championships or playoff pictures, but we're talking about just fun, exciting week one football, some heartbreaking bets talking of course, about North Carolina, 63 Appalachian state 61 In regulation, and Houston 37, UTSA 35, took them three overtimes. They were running two-point conversion plays at the end of that one. Uh, I mean, between those two games, just a lot of action-packed action fun, I would say, Stephen, right?
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean, Brian you know, the viewing audience, the listening audience doesn't know you quite as well as I do. But for everybody out there, one of the things Brian was very fond of saying when he would be just beating your ass in a sports video game, he'd be like, eight goals. Is that good? Did I break it? Should it, does that count? Is is that good? And I felt like that's what app state should have been saying in the fourth quarter when they scored 40 points, 40 points. Is that good? Do we break it? And they still lost the game. They still lost the game. They put up 40 and they lost the game. I look, You're right. These may not be conference championship teams. Well, at might. They might. UTSA actually might actually there might be a three conference champions out of this group potentially. (laughs) But North Carolina, not a conference championship team. None of them, probably national championship calibers. But damn, if I wasn't glued to the TV watching these games I mean especially that app North Carolina game just up and down and up and down and I'm gonna give myself a little pat on the back because I think I I hit the over by about 40 points in this one I think we, we beat the over by about 40 in this one just explosive offenses Drake may Brian he's a superstar I I could not love this guy North Carolina's quarterback more he's so fun to watch he's a big guy but he moves he can move, he can throw, he gets a, takes a helicopter hit about once to twice per game, and he's just, just fun. And then on the app side, man, Chase Bryce, I, I mean, he deserves credit, he deserves credit he, he, for a lot of the game, and then he just didn't. <laughs> he
1: deserves some blame on that two-point pass, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he didn't come up big when, when they needed it, most uh, on the two-point conversion but then even after they missed a two-point conversion they still had a chance to win the game because North Carolina leading by one returned an onside kick for a touchdown kicked the extra point to go up eight interesting thing here you actually said if you were Mac Brown you would go for a two-point conversion to make it a nine-point game and end it right there do you still believe that in the the light of day a day later
1: yeah, I like it. I like going for the jugular, man. I, it was funny because uh, I think your, your response uh, very quickly led to my dismissal as head coach of this fictional university where uh, where I was head coaching. But I like the idea if you have the seven-point lead, you go for two there and you don't even give them a chance to to come back and, and make a play. Chase Bryce did come back and, and score that touchdown. So if you go for two and get it um, – you don't necessarily have to worry about that. Now, obviously, they made another stop, and you even called it. You said, oh, snap, they probably already used their best two-point play on the one that that didn't succeed earlier, and and that one obviously didn't either. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's easy for me to say from my couch, but I, I like to be bold. Um, and before we move on for this game, absolute tip of the cap to you on that over. I, for, for the listening audience, I said, hey, I was a little late getting over to the house, and 11.40, I don't have any bets in. What are the noon must haves? And the one that I got was App U N C over. And man, I haven't I haven't had a, a cruise to a bet like that in quite some time. I think it was 49 at halftime, and the it was fifty-six and a half was the line for the game. So tip the cap to you on that one for sure.
0: Brian, the two quarterbacks in this game combined for over seven hundred yards passing and ten touchdowns.
1: It's not bad.
0: Not a bad it's day a work. game. It's a fun game. It's a fun game very fun game but there was another fun game too maybe just as fun which was the aforementioned houston utsa game houston wins 37 35 in triple ot one of our first looks if not i think it was my certainly my first look at the new college overtime rules where it's just two-point conversion after two-point conversion uh starting in what was it starting in the third overtime Starting second in the over.
1: second overtime now. Starting yeah. in the
0: second overtime. Uh so actually I'll start there. What'd you think of that?
1: It kept it moving. I I I don't have a problem with length of game in college football. So like if if that's what they're trying to fix in air quotes, I don't love it, but like it it gets it gets you to a conclusion. Sure, it was exciting. I mean, I generally think College overtime didn't really need a, a ton of tweaking or fixing. Um, I, I, I enjoy going back and forth from the 25 until we need it, but I don't hate it. I, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's everybody's playing on an even playing field, so I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't have the strongest thoughts on it either. I think, I think it was fine. I, I, th- I feel like when everybody thinks about this rule, they think about that Penn State Illinois game. Yeah. It just wanted to end last year. But this is kind of the opposite. Like I could have watched this one forever.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair.
0: But this was another game where the, both quarterbacks came up really big. Both. Passing the ball and running the ball. Clayton Toon, 206 yards, three touchdowns through the air. Another 51 and a touchdown on the ground. And I was pretty impressed with his wheels, actually. I, I didn't know that he could run quite the way that he did, but he showed it over and over again throughout the game. And then on the other side of the ball, Frank Harris at UTSA, 337 yards passing, three touchdowns to one pick, 63 yards on the ground with another touchdown there. So and just I thought between these two games, Two really fun quarterback matchups, two really fun environments, both in Boone, North Carolina at App and at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. And I just think this is a lot of what week one, what makes week one college football fun is getting these kind of matchups. But if you had to pick one, which ones do you like better?
1: Oh, man. I I think I like the the app UNC. I mean, it just it had a little bit of everything. That two point pass, you said it at the time, but it was eerily reminiscent of our favorite team, Maryland and Tyrell program trying to beat Ohio State, where it was like it's right there. Like you just make the throw and you and you pull the great upset and and it pains me and I see it on your face right now. It pains you to even hear about that again. But like it was reminiscent of that. It was a phenomenal play call and and it's a flick of the wrist and and you're there and uh so it it had a bit of everything and then and then they had another chance after that so i would i would choose that one and i and i do want to hear what you would say but i you know utsa they're gonna be tough and they're fun and i would say the longhorns need to look out in week three in a couple of weeks because if they look susceptible they'll be coming off i'm assuming getting their ass kicked against Alabama. And if they show any sign of a little hangover from that, they are, they're going to jump on them because UTSA is not a pushover. Like a casual college football fan might think when you look at the schedule. Um, And so uh, that's a game I'm, I'm suddenly very, very much looking forward to.
0: So I think I'm with you that I, the app UNC game was a little more fun, but I think this Houston UTSA game may ultimately be more impactful because I think, Houston getting past this game really sets them up to go on a nice run this year. I was more worried about this game than any other game on their schedule this season because they have a relatively easy conference schedule missing Cincinnati and UCF. They do have Texas Tech next week, but if they can get these two non-con games and especially this one where it is just a fired up crowd, a program on the rise, a program you might feel like you should be better than if you can get that one I think you're really starting to build something so I, I think this one might ultimately be be the more impactful game through the year because Houston snuck by and it might propel them on a run through the rest of the season I think that's a totally fair take totally fair take you want to
1: give out some winners and losers
0: yeah winners and losers week one uh, can I start off with a hot one Brian do it I got a really hot one. All right. My winner of the week is the Pac-12. I'm sorry. Yeah. Winner of the week, (laughs) Pac-12. So all I heard all day yesterday, all day today is the Pac-12 1-8 versus the SEC in week one matchups over the last 11 seasons. You know what? Who cares? Who cares that Oregon got smashed by Georgia? Because you know who else got smashed by Georgia everybody last season. (laughs) Arkansas, 37-0. Florida, 34-7. Hell, Tennessee lost 41-17. But if you hear Tennessee fans talk, I would think they nearly won the game because they (laughs) scored 17 points against Georgia. You would think that was like the greatest accomplishment ever in the history of of the football since General Nealon was was (laughs) on the banks of the whatever river they have down there Tennessee River sounds right sounds right (laughs) who cares Oregon got smashed by perhaps the greatest college football team uh that we've seen maybe the I'm not saying this year's version is the greatest ever but on a back back two-year back-to-back uh seasons They could be back-to-back national champions, so don't care about that at all. And, you know, in life, Brian, things are relative, right? Because what happened last year that didn't happen this year is no Pac-12 team lost to an FCS school. Nobody lost to Nevada. Nobody lost to Utah State. In fact, they, for the most part, took care of business. USC scored 66. UCLA scored 45. Washington scored 45. Washington last year lost to an FCS school. Washington could barely crack the teens most games last year, but they put up 45 and looked really good in doing so. Arizona, a team that I said, forget about them, under, 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 under. They had some transfers come in, look really good. They beat San Diego State. Oregon State took down Boise. Just really put it to Boise. Maybe ended... Hank Bachmeyer's tenure as Boise State quarterback. So to me, things are kind of relative, Brian. The, last year they had a terrible week one. This year they had one heartbreaking loss by Utah, who I still think can do whatever they want to do. Balls in their court. And then Oregon lost to by a lot to Georgia. Everybody loses by a lot to Georgia. So boo-hoo. I like it.
1: I like it. That's a good that's a good take. Two of the teams that were favorites for the for the conference took losses heartbreaking or big and you're calling them a winner that's a take that's a take if i've heard one but i i think it's i think it's valid i think it's valid i'm also interested to see how quickly the uh the usc hype train like gets so fast it runs off the tracks right like they they hung a lot i mean they played rice but of course they they looked good uh, caleb Williams to jordan addison on the first touchdown of the season right and like it's gonna it's gonna pick up steam. We'll see. I like it though. I like it. Um, my winner for week one, we we've actually touched on it a little bit, um, and and sort of a macro one too. Uh the QB run game. I feel like it's such a fun part of college football. And it was on full display in week one. So I I went back through and pulled a couple of them because it, it it really jumped out to me. Like Bryce Young ran for 100 yards for Alabama. Didn't see that coming. It was only on a a handful of carries, but still. Spencer Sanders, two rushing scores. K.J. Jefferson, you expect it from him, but 62 and a touchdown. Clayton Toon, you mentioned it, 50 and a touchdown. That 50 yards for Clayton Toon actually led Houston in rushing for the game. Frank Harris in that game, 63 and a touchdown. Caleb Williams, 68 for USC. And then obviously Anthony Richardson and Cam Rising, they combined for almost 200 rush yards in that game from the QB position. Three touchdowns from Anthony Richardson, and you mentioned Drake May, too. Um, it just seems to be so much – such a fun part of offense in college football is, is finding ways to get guys who can make plays the ball in their hand and designing it that way. And it, it's fun when you can involve the quarterback in that, too. So my winner in week one was back to watching the QB run game, and I had a blast doing it.
0: Yeah, a ton of fun, a lot of design runs, but a lot of imp- improvisation too. Yeah. Obviously, Anthony Richardson did a lot of both, then he was—I mean, he's the winner of the day mm-hmm. above anybody else, in my opinion. Yeah. Just the most electric, most fun. But yeah, I'm—I'm I'm with you on that. So a loser for the week is—is is somebody I mentioned already? Hank Bachmeyer and Boise State. So. We talked a bit about Boise State a couple weeks ago, where I felt like this is really a pivotal year for them. Year two of the Andy Avalos era. Can they get back to being that top, top G5 team like they had been for so long? And it did not start well. They got blown out by Oregon State. Bachmeyer threw two picks and fumbled and was benched for a redshirt freshman, Taylor Green. Boise lost by 17. Tough night for Bachmeyer. Tough night. For the Broncos. So they're my loser of the week because I think there's some good teams at the top of that conference that are going to take them down.
1: My loser of the week, it pains me to do this because he doesn't need anybody else piling on, I think. But the real loser of the week is East Carolina kicker Owen Daffer. And it, we can't go to this show without talking about what happened in that game because it doesn't get a lot worse from a kicker perspective. Paint the picture here. East Carolina down 21-7 at halftime at home to 13th-ranked NC State. They come back and tie it. Just shy of three minutes left in the game. They score a touchdown. Daffer misses the extra point. So it's 21-20, to and it wasn't really particularly close. Uh, they force a three and out. Holt Nailers gets him back in field goal range. Great drive down there, almost 50 yards to get in field goal range. He's rushing onto the field for a 42-yard game winner. And – an improbable timeout is called by NC State. I, I'm not sure how best to describe it, but uh, a timeout was called. So they were able to set themselves and uh, 42 yards to win it. And Daffer missed that too. So tough last two kicks, uh chance to pull the upset at home. Couldn't get it done. You feel for the kid and I'm not calling him a loser. I'm not bullying him right now, but I think he he, he didn't have a good week.
0: So Dave Doran and Devin Leary should be sending him thank you cards, cupcakes, cookies, flowers, a check maybe, because he saved both of them a lot of criticism. Preseason ACC Player of the Year Devin Leary did not look like the preseason ACC Player of the Year. That team did not look like a team that is going to challenge Clemson, challenge anybody for a conference title and that Dave Doran timeout, you know, I really meant to look today to see if he had any comments about it. If they, maybe NC state was not set. They had maybe an extra guy on the field, something along those lines. Cause I just don't really know why you would give a, a, a opportunity to a kicker who had already missed an extra point to try to collect himself, try to maybe get himself together rather than have him sprint on the field. And, you know, attempt a rapid fire field goal. Cause how often does that ever work?
1: Yeah. I tried to do a quick search cause you're right. We got to find an explanation for that. I can't find one on Twitter. I don't know if he wasn't asked about it or what, but, uh, they escaped. They escaped. It wasn't good.
0: Yeah, sure did. Well, another team who didn't escape, they won pretty handily, but they didn't really look their best was our Maryland Terrapin. So you out there, you might not care too much about Maryland, but I bet you will, because your two hosts of this show are Maryland grads, love the Terps. And if for no other reason than to watch us get our hopes irrationally high to eventually come crashing down, you'll you'll get invested. You'll get invested in what the Terps have to offer. So we're going to be doing a Maryland Minute, one minute on the Terps. Yesterday, they took down Buffalo at home, 31 to 10, uh... Like I said, I didn't think they looked their absolute best. This is an offense that I expect to be really good. But as a Maryland fan, I don't think you can ever complain about any three-score win. So, hey, that's where I'm at.
1: I thought it was great when we chatted about it because I was like, man, they don't look sharp. Man, this stinks. And you, in that moment, were heady enough to be like, listen, where have we been and where are we going? A three-score win is nothing to complain about. Did they not look particularly sharp? I I would say that's fair. But a win is a win is a win. Go on the road to Charlotte next week, and then and then a couple of big games in a row, starting with SMU. So I, I was I liked what I saw from Roman Hemby, at running back that breakaway speed was on full display, particularly 114 yards, 16.3 yards per carry. Yep, a couple of touchdowns. Um, so hey, we'll take it. Three touchdowns. Yeah, win.
0: go to Charlotte next week. Who just lost to William and Mary? Take care of business. Come home, and then you got a tough SMU team and. Both of us will be there live. Uh, That's maybe the time where we come crashing back to Earth. Maybe not. (laughs) Who's to say? But we are going to find out, and we are going to keep you updated every week because eventually there will be a payoff. I can almost guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It'll be either right after that game or the following week, but it's coming.
0: So that's our week one recap, the action on the field. There were some off the field things that we do need to address this week. And the first one I want to start with, Brian, is the situation at San Diego State. So before going any further, I do want to provide a warning that this topic contains discussion of sexual violence. For those of you out there, if you're not aware of what's been going on at San Diego State and with the football program, in June, the LA Times published a story on allegations that five San Diego State football players had raped an unconscious underage girl at an off-campus party in October 2021. At the time of the story's publishing, the school had not launched a Title IX investigation, and the university said that police had asked them not to launch a concurrent investigation is it could compromise the criminal one. Uh, No players were named in the story. And then on August 1st, after seven months after the alleged attack took place, the university did launch an investigation of their own. Now, in the story that the Times published, uh, they talked to Title IX and legal experts who said that it can be appropriate for a school to comply with such police requests. However, it was troubling that San Diego State had held off on taking action for nearly an entire academic year. Fast forward to about a week and a half ago, and a civil lawsuit was filed that accused three former San Diego State football players, Matariza, Xavier Leonard, and Pa'a Iwaliko of gang raping a 17-year-old girl at a party last October. None of the three players are currently members of the Aztec football program. And Ariza, who is the most well-known of the three players, was subsequently released by the Buffalo Bills days later. No criminal charges have been filed. And a spokesperson for the district attorney told KBPS that the case is still under review. So in the lead up to San Diego State's week one game against Arizona, their San Diego State's athletic director, John David Wicker, and head coach Brady Hoke gave prepared statements regarding the allegations to assembled media members, but then refused to answer questions that were not related to football or the opening of their new stadium. The media members there continued to ask questions about the alleged assault, and both Hoke and Wicker left before Wicker returned alone to answer questions about the situation. And there are many valid questions that need to be asked. Part of the job of the media is to make sure there is transparency from institutions. These allegations are extraordinarily disturbing, and I thought the approach taken by Wicker and Hoke at the press conference was completely inappropriate. It almost seems like, at least from my watching of it, it felt like they were like, here's this thing that we don't really want to talk about. Now, let's get on to the thing that we do want to talk about, and it it almost made it feel like football was more important than these horrible allegations, which is just it's just not acceptable. So, uh, it's something that is is in the news right now, and we wouldn't be a a college football podcast if if we didn't cover what was happening in the news right now. So, I think that was a off the field topic that that had to be covered this week. It's a huge story in both college football and in the NFL. And then the second story of the week was the expansion of college football playoff, which um certainly a lighter topic. Something that's been talked about for about a year now, expanding the playoff from four teams to 12 teams. And finally, that will happen. It will happen uh, by 2026. It could potentially happen sooner. And I think that this is a, a really good thing for the sport moving forward. I think it'll be more inclusive. It'll allow the G5 to have more opportunities to make the playoff. It'll um, create more meaningful games at the end of the season where teams that were completely out of it now have a reason to play for. But it still kind of maintains that I guess, importance of the regular season, if you will, because the only way to get a buy in this proposed format, uh, one of the four teams to get a buy is to win your conference. So I think this is something that was really desperately needed in the wake of conference expansion to make sure ensure that everybody still has a seat at the table. Um, I really like this personally. Brian, what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I, one of the things that really hammered it home for me, and uh, I guess I'm a visual guy, but ESPN had a nice graphic of like what a 12 team playoff would have looked like last year because I I like to look at it and just be like, okay, like uh, I, I can put myself in it, and I like to say, are any of these teams not deserving? Right, and so some of like the the non conference champions who um, would have been part of it: Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, Michigan State. Um, I don't really have any issue with them getting a chance to prove on the field that they're that they're right there, right? Like particularly a team like Oklahoma State, who honestly might have missed the playoffs by a yard, right? In the Big Twelve Championship game, getting tackled by Baylor at the one yard line. If they win that, there's there's a decent chance they make the playoff uh, over Cincinnati, and so um, I I I like it. It's like for all the reasons you said, the inclusivity. I like the G five automatic bid. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. It's always felt like it's been moving this way. I think the crux was going to be in the execution of it. And I think that I think that they did it. I think competing for buys is big. I think having more access is big. Um, and I'm a fan. I'm ready for it to get going.
0: I think there'll be some really fun. Long-term impacts and and consequences to discuss and evaluate uh, as we get to think about it more and you know really more as we I mean it might be a couple years before this is implemented but I, I think this is just really good for making sure that we're not headed towards this super league where the SEC and the Big Ten are the only leagues that matter. I think this format is amazing for the organs of the world. For the Clemsons of the world, who have a pretty clear path to a playoff berth and Subsequently, that first round by, which is really big, it's really important. So, um, I think this is going to do some good for leveling the playing field. I, of course, I know money does trump all, and that that's always going to be the driver of things. However, I do think there it gives you something to think about when you're like, Hey, would I rather go play at this school that's competing with six other teams, aka? in the sec where you have georgia alabama lsu auburn florida texas a&m who all oklahoma soon who all want to win that conference and get that first round by or you could go to oregon have a pretty clear path to win the Pac 12 so i i really like what it does for for the long term of the sport
1: great take i'm with you
0: Okay, let's uh let's finish things off here with a little bit of a look ahead to week two. Of course, midweek, I will be back coming to you solo with all the previews, all my picks. Did go nine and six with the picks I gave out on the preview show last week. Nine and seven overall with the Purdue loss that I had the day before I gave out my picks. So I'm look, I'm a man of of honor, so I'm <laughs> going to include that in my record, even though I didn't give it out. But hey, anytime you have a winning record, uh. I'm going to, I'm going to take it and run, but we got week two coming up. So Brian, anything you you're really looking forward to already?
1: Yeah. I talked a bit as far as on the field, I'm liking Kentucky and Florida. That's a, that's a, a really big game. Um, suddenly that I'm looking forward to from a gambling perspective, there's a few that jump off the page at me. It's actually funny. Um, I was looking at odds to, to answer this question. Um, maybe an hour before we hit record, uh, and one that jumped out at me, um, App State getting seventeen and a half against Texas A&M. Um, I really like that, and seems like other people might too because I just refreshed my page and it's sixteen and a half. Um, but I think I still I'm still with it. I think it's going to move even maybe another point point and a half in that direction. Uh, App showed me a lot. They're they're not going to be slowed down totally by anyone like I don't think this is going to be AM suffocates them into scoring zero or three points um I I do think the Aggies will win but I think Appalachian State can can hold their own um and and I expect them to do so the other line that that sort of jumped out at me um and I'm not sure where I'm going to come down on it because I I'm surprised uh, in in a a little bit by it is that Baylor's a two and a half point dog on the road. Um, I mean, BYU's sharp. They've been sharp for a while now and and they look good in week one too. Um, Was really impressed with Baylor. I know they played Albany, uh, but they they had the new starting quarterback and he was very, very, very efficient. Um, And so uh, I like the idea of, of getting those points though. That might be a a square thought. I gotta, I gotta give that a little bit more look, see, but I feel really good about app state in the points.
0: I think that Baylor BYU game is one of the games I'm looking forward to most just as a can't wait to sit down and watch it. Not necessarily, not not sure I have a strong opinion yet on a way to bet it, but I, I am looking forward to sitting down and watching it because I think we, we don't know a lot. Baylor rarely has a strong non-conference schedule, so this is a, a pretty big game for them, a future conference game actually. So uh, I'm curious about that. Uh, Want to wanna sit down and watch that one talked a little bit already about kentucky going to florida florida coming off that big emotional win big chance for Kentucky to say, Hey, you know, not the, you're you're not that second best team that you think you are. We still have something to say about this. Uh, very much looking forward to that one from a gambling perspective. One that jumped out to me right away is UCF might was opened at minus five and a half hosting Louisville who went up to the dome in Syracuse and did not look good. Took a big L there and like you said, Brian. I think some people might agree with me there because I just refreshed and it's already up to minus six and a half. So, but I still think under a touchdown, I, I want that. So, jump on that if you can, minus six and a half. At minus six and a half, because uh, I think UCF is is a pretty good team, and I think Lobo's is not <laughs> this, such a good team. This is the analysis you come to tailgate to for, tell tell me for huh? <laughs> so that that's one of my early thoughts, but there will be much more coming midweek as I have time to dive into all these games. Think about what's interesting. Think about the storylines. Think about where we might have an advantage from a gambling perspective. Well, we did it, Brian. Week one in the books. It was a fun start to the season. If we have a season full of games like that, I think we're going to have a pretty good time. Yes, sir. Glad to be back. Well, that's our show. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.